Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Richard with me, and he just goes by Richard, just like I go by Wesleyan. One name is enough. How are you, Richard? Wesleyan, I am doing good, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Richard. He is the founder of One Call Closers, a sales agency that has worked with influencers such as Tony Robbins, Bedros, as well as Dean Grazowski. Ooh, I should have asked Dean Graziosi. <laughs> Dean Graziosi. There we go. Dean Graziosi. To scale their online offers to $1 million a month. In a span of three years, One Call Closers has sold over $40 million in the digital product space and has built over 13 seven-figure sales teams. Richard is known as the acquisition king in the high ticket space. Okay. So I know you didn't just pop out of the womb and start making a million dollars a month for companies. Talk to us about how you started your career to how you really built this wonderful enterprise and empire. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a long story, Wesleyan, but the short version was, is I was working for my dad. I was making $20 an hour. I had two kids at the time and I was married and I was living in LA. So it was around $36,000 a year. Obviously, it's not that much money. We were barely getting by. I knew I didn't want to do that. And I was miserable there. So I, I told my dad, I said, hey, dad, I'm going to put my two weeks in. Put my two weeks in. Didn't know what the plan was, but I knew I could probably make something else happen, right? I can make more money doing something. When I put my two weeks in, I went on Indeed. And I said, hey, let me see if there's any jobs on Indeed, right? And I see a, a job posting. I said, hey, we're looking for a guy that loves fitness. You know, he wants to conquer the world. And if that's you, apply. So I ended up applying for this position. They call me back. I got an interview with Jasmine. Jasmine's like, hey, man, I like you. You should get into another interview with my boss, Bedros Koulian, right? And I thought Bedros was like a short little Mexican dude at the time. I'm like, who's this Bedros guy? Well, it turns out that this Bedros guy is a somebody in the high ticket space. In the online space, everybody knows this guy, Bedros. He's coached. You know, he's had masterminds with like Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi and Vince Del Monte and Elliot Hulse, all these online guys I was following. And so we hit it off in an interview, Wesleyan, and I knew that day, honestly, I knew that day my life was going to change. I had uh, butterflies kind of running down my arms, you know, talking with Bedros. And he said, hey, Rich, you need to come work for me. I said, dude, hey, you know what, man? That's, that sounds great. Let's do it. So he offered me a job, Wesleyan. I just took it. I didn't know what the hell I was going to be doing. I just knew that I had to be around this guy. This guy's legit. And so I show up Monday. He says, hey, by the way, you're going to start doing um, sales. Uh, <laughs> um, he's like, yeah. He's like, hey, you have a week to prepare. He's like, next Monday, I'm going to mail out to my list. He had like an email list of like 150,000 people. And he's like, I'm going to book you calls to sell my coaching program, which at the time was $3,000. And so he gives me like, you know, a little mock sales training in his office real quick. You know, the Jordan Belfort straight line sales system kind of. So that's the sales training he gave me. He's like, hey, Rich, the sales a straight line. You know, you start right here. You got to walk the prospect down the straight line, ask for the money and then close the deal. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, we'll figure it out. And uh, that Monday came around, Wesley, and I had a bunch of calls stacked in my calendar. And lo and behold, obviously I sucked. Right? <laughs> I didn't know what the hell to do. I just knew like at the end of the call, John was going to say, I need to think about it. And I didn't know how to answer that. So I let John off the call. But the one thing that I had in my favor, Wesley, was that I did follow up like a beast. And that's how I got started in sales. I started learning high ticket sales through Bedros. And then that's kind of how the momentum built from there. But that was my start in sales. Okay. So that's how you got started. So 
when you were working for your dad, I can imagine as a son working for his father, there's a dynamic there. Take us back to your early years of what are some of the lessons that you learned working for your dad? I don't know if it was a family business or not, but how was that dynamic? What good things did you learn? What things are you happy that you never have to learn again? You know what? I think it was more things that I learned not to do that was more beneficial working with my dad because I saw the way they ran their business and I saw the way the employees didn't really want to be there. And I saw how people were confused and I saw how there was miscommunications going on. And as I was in that environment, all the things I was processing were all the things like, hey, I don't want to do that. Hey, if I was running this place, I wouldn't be doing that. I would be doing this. Hey, if I was you know, in this position, I wouldn't have said this. I would have said that. And so I think through the opposite process of all the things I learned not to do, <laughs> that helped me as I got into sales. And then later on, as I left that sales gig and then started one called Closers, all those experiences I had with my dad of things not to do helped me do the things that I should do, if that makes sense. Mm. There are definitely lessons that can be learned from like, nope, I never want to do that. Nope, that was a bad idea. I can remember having bad bosses and say, I'll never do that ever exactly. to my employees, right? Ever, ever, ever. But then there's also that you know, as you're a child growing up, or even if you're in the workplace, I'll never make my employee do that. I'll never make my kids do that. Yeah. And then you become the parent or the boss and you're like, I see why they did that. Yeah. <laughs> I see why that happened. Give us one or two little nuggets of those things that you're like, I see why my dad did that, that you had to implement into your business. Well, I would say the one thing that's for sure is that I saw there was a lot of stress in business. And at the time, maybe I didn't understand the amounts of stress that an entrepreneur can undergo when you're trying to build a business. And I think I might've been naive to that. And so when I was working for my dad, I would see the stress that he incurred and I could see how his actions portrayed the stress that he was under. And I was just to say like, well, why wouldn't he just do this? But I didn't realize that mm -hmm. stress was involved, right? And in stressful situations, you do things and react in certain situations that maybe you wouldn't have reacted otherwise. And so I think if there's one big takeaway I learned kind of getting into the entrepreneur space is that stress hits and it's going to come for you and you got to be ready for it, right? Like you, you got to be prepared for that undertaking because it's almost like at some points in your entrepreneurial journey, if you're in that space, you're going to feel like the weight of the world's on you and you got to make decisions and the way you make those decisions are going to determine your future. And that's a big lesson I learned working with my dad and seeing that. Yeah. It's the inevitable stress because as a business owner, there are so many things that we maybe, you know, we don't realize that we're going to have to encounter. It's like payroll is kind of on me now. Like if we don't bring money in, then nobody gets paid, including me. Exactly. And that's a huge stressor that a lot of people don't even account for when they take on an entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. So it sounds like you have balanced your stress a little bit. What are some ways that you've learned to balance the, the pressure of continuing to grow, but still taking time to not overwhelm yourself or do too many things at once? So I have four kids, by the way. So I have uh, four kids. They're seven and under, seven, five, three, and two. And so obviously my family is like my world, but then we also have one called Closers, which we're trying to grow and scale and get out to the masses, right? So that tricky balance is tough. But for me, I would say it's just about keeping the routine every day and then having hard stops that you stick to, right? And I learned this from Bedros Koulian. And Bedros was my first mentor. He taught me sales. At the time, he had a, also a franchise that was a Fortune 500 franchise. He had over 600 locations nationwide. And every day, 
every day, Wesleyan, he would stop work at 5 p.m. no matter what. And he would leave the office at 5 p.m. on the dot every single day. And I remember telling, I remember asking him, I said, hey, like, B, I know you got a lot of crap going on, man, but like, you always leave the office like 5 p.m. He's like, yeah, Rich, I've learned to have constraints in my life, right? At 5 p.m. I stop, I go home with my wife and kids, and I take care of that other side of what I have to take care of. And that was a big lesson for me. And that's what I've tried to carry over into my journey is like, listen, if you say you're going to work from this time to this time, then you're working and you get shit done. But when you stop, you stop. And then you go on to the other parts of life because life's not just making money. Life's not just working. There's other things you got to take care of. And so that's the mentality that I, I transfer over into what I do. If that makes sense. It's all about that work-life balance. And for some people, whether they have families or not, it's, I like to say, be a person of your word. If you make a commitment to a family member, a friend, and then you're always like, oh, I have to work late. Oh, I have a project coming up. Oh, I have this. Oh, I have that. Then they start thinking that you're not as dependable and you will always be busy. You're never going to finish your to-do list. It's a never ending list. So you just have to decide when to stop. And when you take the time back, like earlier this week, I went and I just surprised my son and we had lunch together. He was like, mommy, you came to lunch with me. I'm like, I did. And I brought him a little burger and we sat and we ate until he kicked me out. Like, he's like, well, can I spend like five minutes with my friends before lunch is over? I was like, sure. But the 20 minutes that we spent together, that will forever be imprinted in his mind. And as business owners, as leaders, it is so important for us to balance our personal and our professional responsibilities because at the end of the day, we are one person. We're not two pieces of a pie. We are one whole person. Exactly. And you know, a big thing that I see, and you might disagree or agree, but in today's society, like everybody's about the hustle and the grind and, you know, getting more content and then going out there and building empires. And, you know, if you don't hear the word eight figures, nobody's like, like seven figures nowadays is like, oh, that's nothing. Like you got to hear eight figures, nine figures to even be impressed anymore. But it's important because like, I see a lot of people that just can't take time out of their day when they take time off of work or they take time off of doing something, they feel guilty. They feel like, no, man, I should be back hustling and grinding. And they stop enjoying life, man. Like, Listen, dude, like, yeah, go out, crush sales, right? Make money. That's cool. Have Get the Bentley if you want the Bentley. But dude, also realize there's other parts of life that bring fulfillment as well, right? And don't feel guilty when you take time for that stuff because it's life. Like, enjoy life, right? Absolutely. One of the ways that I've really found that I can step away and not feel guilty is building a team around me that can help support the business. In the past couple months, I've been able to take two full weeks, one with my family vacationing, another, I called it, it was like an executive retreat to just decompress and step away, like literally be in the wilderness, think about the business strategically, where are we going to move? What are we going to do? And without having a bench of people around you, you don't have that opportunity. 100%. So I want to dabble into, so you got into the sales job, like, like so excited, like, okay, I'm going to make more than $20 an hour. I got a whole family to support. And your first week was like a dud. How did you go from being like, I got all this rejection to really start climbing out of that rut and start really making some traction within the organization? So yeah, for me, Wesleyan, it was like, literally, I had to follow up like an animal to get sales. That's the only thing in the beginning that worked for me because I couldn't close. I didn't know how to close. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have like the science and the art of sales down, but I knew that, Hey man, after I, John gets off the phone, 
I could stay in front of a space with emails and texts, right? And phone calls. And so that's what I would do. And I worked myself like a dog trying to do that. But guess what? It worked. It worked. I was selling, man. I was selling not because I was good, but because I was doing so much dang activity that I was getting people to pull the trigger. And then, Wesleyan, as I started getting better in the space, right, as I started understanding like, oh, wow, like every call is the same. Oh, wow, this works. This doesn't work. Oh, wow, my energy, the way that I come on the call, the way, you know, as I increase my belief in the product, my tonality, oh, damn, I'm getting better at sales, right? But for me, it was all about sets and reps. Now, with that being said, if I could go back in time, like if you have salespeople, I know you got a lot of salespeople listening to this right now. If I could go back, I could have crushed it way sooner just by doing this, just by going to another rep that was already crushing it and saying, hey, man, I know that you're a top performer. I know that you're doing X. I want to be just like you. I have goals for my family. And is there any way that I can just be around you? Can I watch you take your calls? Can I see how you do your follow-up? Can I just, and I promise if you do that, I will take every word of it and I'll implement it, right? And most people want to help. Most people do. And if I would have done that, Wesleyan, I would have been so much better, so much faster, and I would have made a lot more money a lot quicker. That was one of my biggest regrets. I love that. Taking ownership of your destiny, right? Like really saying, I want to be excellent. And so in order to be excellent, what do I need to do? I need to surround myself with other people that are better than me, that know more than me. I like to take this a step further because I truly believe that one of the biggest challenges that we have in the sales culture today is leaders not doing what you just said. Leaders not taking the time to pull the person aside and say, I'm going to call, I'm going to do this. And I want you to listen to me. I want you to take notes and really pouring into and developing those junior people. And then for all of you salespeople out there who want to be leaders, become a mentor, develop someone. Nobody has to ask you to do it. If you really want to do that, that's how you show your leadership capability without actually putting the title of leader before you get the responsibility. See if you actually like developing someone, having them listening to your calls, doing ride-alongs if you're in field sales, like all of those things that so many people forget is important for Mm -hmm. our development as individuals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And by the way, that's why one call closers exist. You know, we set up sales teams for all these online influencers And the reason why we do that is because guess what? They don't want to have to manage salespeople because as you already know, like, dude, managing salespeople is tough, right? They think on a different level. Like they're usually entrepreneurs that just want freedom and flexibility and they want to just go off and do their own thing. That's why they're in sales and just make a bunch of money. And so managing those type of people becomes very, very difficult. And so I always look at our company, One Call Closers, as literally just a leadership and management company. Every day, right, we're doing daily huddles. Every day we're doing role-playing. Every day we're doing one-on-ones. Every day we're looking at metrics and key performance indicators and saying, hey, where can we improve? We're listening to calls. And it's that level of devotion. If you wanna crush it in sales, you have to have it. And you need somebody to lead that ship because most people, are lazy, right? Like nobody wants to just get up and like listen to their calls, right? But when you have a good leader in place that sets the tone and the culture of like, guys, this is what we do inside this company because we're going to crush it and we're not going to be average. We're going to dominate on the calls. We're going to be better than everybody else. And guess what? If you're better than everybody else, you're going to go home at the end of the day and you're going to have way more money in your bank account to take care of you and your family, right? Because everything costs money. And so 
that's the way we approach one call closers as a leadership and a management company. And it's worked for us. And not a sales company. We're not out here telemarketing, cold calling, doing all of these things because as small business owners, you have like 50 million things and you have 50 million people emailing you 50 times a day asking you to do this, this or that. And you're like, man, it's so annoying. But you do have to realize that your salespeople should also be annoying. And if your salespeople aren't annoying someone, <laughs> you're not getting what needs to be done, right? Yeah. And so I like to put things into perspective because a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm getting all these cold calls. I'm getting all these emails. But what about your team? Is your sales team doing things? Because one thing you mentioned earlier in our conversation is like the follow-up is where the magic happens. Like the metric of the 12 to 14 to 25 touches that it needs to convert is actually a real thing. And so the magic happens in that follow-up. Being persistent, showing up consistently. So when you're leading your team and you're really helping them to focus on that follow-up, what are some things that you have found that really work in follow-up and things that are like, don't do this unless you want to get put it on the, the boo-boo list? Don't do this unless you want to. Well, for us, follow-up is just a way of getting in front of your customer. So whatever form you want to use, whether that's a phone call, a text, an email, the way we do it is by providing value. Hey, John, on the call, you said that you're interested in XYZ. Hey, I found this article, something that you might be interested in. Take a look at it, right? But that little text right there, he's thinking about me. He's like, hey, I remember Rich. Okay, I remember that conversation. Oh, wow, he sent me a cool article. Okay, and then we send something else. Hey, did you ever take a look at this, John? I know we talked about this on the call. Did you get a chance to look at that? And it's like, hey, more value, just ways of staying in front of their face. So that way, when they wake up in the morning, they're thinking about me. I want them thinking about us and me and our company and the product that we, we offer. And the more that you can do that, because guess what? It's competitive, man. Like you think they're only talking to you as a sales rep? No, they're talking to three, four, five, six other people. And how are, why are they going to buy from you? Well, A, because they like you more. B, because you solve their problem better. And C, because you're staying in front of their face way up more often than everybody else. Mm. And so, you know, it all comes back to, are, are your salespeople going to actually follow up? The stats are there. Most salespeople won't follow up more than twice. I mean, that's just the reality. That's the reality for almost all salespeople. So the way we do it in our organization to get them to actually do it is we link the behavior to what they want and out of life, right? So like if John tells me, hey man, like these are my goals in life and these are why I want this stuff. Well, every time he's not doing the activity, we link that back to, hey John, this is what you told us you wanted out of life. These are your goals, man. This is what you want. And you're not even, you're not even following up to get it. Are you sure that's what you want out of life? Because the actions and the result, they don't line up. Something's not right, mm -hmm. right? So it's either you lied to me about what you want or you're just not willing to do what it takes to get it. And so mm -hmm. it's about having those conversations, right? With your reps and really understanding what motivates them, what drives them. For everybody, it's different. Some people might not like this, but I think most salespeople should have a inclination and be motivated by money. Like it's a lot easier in the sales game if you're motivated by money. Not everybody is motivated by money, but if you are, <laughs> it's a lot easier to go out there and try to crush and slam deals. I like to call that um, behavior-based skills development. I talk about it a lot and it is, we are developing and driving the behaviors to get the metrics because you can beat people over the head. Have you made your 50 calls? Have you done this? Have you done that? But that only matters to them 
if they're like a, a number cruncher, right? They're like, I don't care about that. But really tying the outcome to what they're doing today. I was working with a team recently in Seattle and one of the people that I spoke with, he says, well, I'm like 90% done with a second home that I bought. I'm like, great. So what's it gonna take for you to get to 100%? And he shared it and I said, every single order that comes in, every single time you get a PO or somebody says yes to you, I want you to add one more dollar to your ledger. Add the $100, the $1,000, add it up. So you see the money is there, right there visually. Make a spreadsheet, put it on sticky notes. But if you see what you're driving toward in front of you, that is how you're going to really push through and get through, like you said, the follow-ups. Do all the things that need to happen. 100%. That's it. Oh, now, keep in mind, our, our company name is One Call Closer. So about 70 to 80% of our calls are One Call Closes because we're in the high ticket space, right? So when somebody schedules a call with us, they fill out an application and then they schedule a call with us. So they're already interested in the product. They already know what the product's all about. They just have a, a problem that we're solving over the phone. And if we do our job right, we'll close that in one call. And that'll be anywhere from a $3,000 to a $30,000 transaction, typically in that price range. But the other 20% that we don't close over the phone, yeah, we have to follow up 100%. So tell us, what is your secret sauce? How are you getting people to come to your website, sign up, and really go through the process to say, okay, we're gonna close you in, in one call. How does that work? That sounds like a magical fairy dust, but I think everybody wants to be let in on your secret. What is your secret? Yeah, well, you know, in the online space, right? The formula is simple. You just need three things. You need eyeballs, you need an offer, and then you need a sales team, right? Those are the three things. But like what we do at One Call Closers is we help in all three categories because most people in the online space, like let's just say, Wesley, you have an offer right now and your offer is, hey, I can train sales reps in this category and I can make you a badass B2B closer, whatever that offer is, right? And you're like, you want to sell that offer to B2B salespeople for, let's just say $5,000, right? Coaching program or something. Well, most online people, when I go through their funnels, right? Let's say I'm interested in what you offer and I go through your funnel and I get a free ebook from you. And then I'm like, oh, I'm getting some content. They're just focusing on one acquisition style. So it's like, okay, hey, lead hits my website, I get their email, and then I'm hoping that they book a call with me. If they don't book a call with me, I'm hoping my free content gets them to book a call with me, right? Well, what we do in One Call Closers is throughout the entire funnel, we're hitting them multiple times. So if a lead comes in to your world and gives us our email and phone number, guess what we're doing? We're calling that lead. Hey, get them on the phone, see why they even got interested in the first place to then book a closing call, right? Or if they don't respond to that, we hit them with a text, right? Then we get we use text as a channel. And if they don't respond to that, we use social media as a channel. And if they don't respond to that, we use email as a channel. So every stage throughout the funnel, we're hitting that lead to get them onto a closing call because they're interested. They're interested in something of yours, right? And the more that you can stay in front of that lead throughout the actual funnel, the more you're gonna close, the more money you're gonna make. And most people just don't know how to really optimize that with setters and closers and then people that are doing reach outs and then using automation and all that stuff. So that's where we kind of come in and really get the game turned up a little bit and bring the fire to, to make money. Cause that's our job, right? One call closers. Like if you come into our world, we're going to make you money because that's why you, you have us there in the first place, but that's it. That's all I need. 
So really the magic in what I'm hearing and what so many people are not doing, it is the combination of the human and the technology. <laughs> a lot of people do the human and a lot of people do the technology, but it's the marriage of both. You must have good technology. You must be able to move people through and take them on that journey. But you also have to have human beings that can call, that can text, that can reach out and do interaction on social media. And that multifaceted touch approach is what really sounds like it's helping to drive your sales. Exactly. And almost nobody's doing that online, like almost nobody. So when you can do that, you're going to beat the competition. And the reason why they don't do it, by the way, Wesleyan, is because they don't know how to manage all those moving pieces, right? Oh, crap. Like, what do you mean? I have to have somebody on social media? Oh, wait, I have to have somebody on email? Oh, man, I got to have somebody doing manual outbound? Oh, man. And it's like, it becomes a nightmare for somebody to manage. They're like, dude, I got to hire this person. I got to get this person. I get... <laughs> And they don't do it. And it's costing them so much money. They don't even realize how much money it's costing. So, yeah. So you went from working for someone who was doing all of these amazing things. You said he was a high ticket seller and you decided you were going to open your own business. What really drove you to take the leap and step out on your own? Man, you know, that's the million dollar question, right? You know, I'm still trying to figure out the answer to that question because there's so many people watching right now that want to do it right? They want to take the leap, but they don't take the leap. And for whatever reason, some people do, some people don't. But if I look back at why I did it is because I always believed in myself for some reason. Like I always knew deep down, look, I could make something happen. It was like the level of confidence I had in myself, I think that drove me to say, cause look, I, I went from making about $36,000 a year. I worked for Bedros for three years. I went from 36,000 to almost a quarter million dollars a year. Cause I got in the sales game. I got good at it. And then I left that to then pursue entrepreneurship. And most people thought I was crazy at the time. They're like, dude, why in the hell would you leave something like that? Right. And it's because I knew that there was more for me, but I also believed in myself and I knew that I can make it happen. And I've always been the type of person that when my back's against the wall, like I need to have my back against the wall to make stuff happen. If my back's not there, like I'm not motivated enough to do stuff. But that's the million dollar question, man. I wish I could give you a better answer, but I think that's, I think that's why. The million dollar answer is you believed in yourself. People don't believe in themselves. People don't bet on themselves. They don't think that they have the ability to start from zero. Because when you step out on your own, you're starting from zero. Zero. Literally, it's like, I have bills to pay. You said you had four kids, you're married, you have a family that you have to support. But really believing in yourself and knowing that, you know what? I might not know what to do tomorrow, but today I know I'm gonna focus on this and I'm gonna keep pushing and I'm gonna keep knocking on doors and I'm gonna keep doing the things that need to be done until I can become successful. And if you just keep believing in yourself, eventually all of those thoughts that you're manifesting, those things that you're saying, they will come to pass. They will become true. That's it, man. Just got to do it, right? I think the best, uh, <laughs> well, the best motto is uh, Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Simple as it. that. So you've had a pretty fascinating career. Um, sounds like you have a very full personal life. What is one thing that you can point to in your life that has impacted the way that you lead? The biggest thing for me was meeting Bedros. He took a liking to me and he kind of put me under his wing, so to speak. And he kept me close because he was like, you know what? I like this guy, Rich. And for whatever reason, we hit it off. And because I was so close to him, I got to see how he led his business. 
and it was a Fortune 500 company. He, you know, he had 40, 50 employees. He had multiple departments. And I got to see firsthand how he talked with people, how he led meetings, right? How he would actually lead me and check in on the day. And then he would have little gifts for me, right? Hey, Rich, by the way, he would leave like a little gift on my table of like something cool that he knew I liked. And I got to see this over and over. And I got to see him interact with other business owners and how he would coach them. And just through the observation of watching somebody lead a company at that proportion, man, that rocked my world, man. That like, I took all those experiences and, and I downloaded all that information over those three years and I took that over with me. And that right there, and I, I had a four-year degree, Wesleyan, and by the way, I would never do that again. I, yeah, that's a whole nother story. But in those three years that I was with Bedros, I felt like I got like six college educations, like times 20, right? Like those three years, man, like taught me more about business, life, and sales than like all my other stuff combined. And that changed my life leadership wise, for sure. hundred percent. A good leader, a good mentor, a good teacher completely and totally changes the trajectory of your life, not your career, but your life. Because when you have that person that believes in you, when you don't believe in yourself and they encourage you and they push you and they show you that there's more out there for you that you can achieve. I mean, it gets into your brain and you think so just like you're like, I don't know why I started on myself. I don't know why I went out on it. Somebody told you that you could so much, you started believing it. And so to Bedros, hopefully you share this episode with him and he hears the amazing impact that he has had on your life, on your career, on the legacy that you're going to be leaving for your children. My wish for you is that there is somebody within your organization or many more people that you are pouring back into that same type of devotion. Oh yeah. And I still to this day text him probably once a month and let him know, hey man, I appreciate you B for all the things you did for me. So yeah. That is awesome. Richard, you have shared so much with us. You have shared your life's journey, your story. You told us about your company and why entrepreneurs, if they're struggling with sales, they should reach out to you. What is the one best way that people can get in contact with you? Um, you know, you can go to the website. So it's numeric one, right? One callcloserscom or Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. And I'm on all the social medias to type Richard Mujica or one call closers. But that's, you know, that's the best way. Okay. OneCallCloser's.com. Well, Richard, thank you so much for sharing your time, your talent, your energy with us. We greatly, greatly appreciate learning from you today. Thank you, Wesleyan. This was awesome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. And remember, each and every day, try to be 1% better than the day before. And that's how you will transform your sales. Until next time.